guys are almost ready back there? Okay. Hey, cool. Christmas, everybody. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. That must be confusing for those of you who are guests. Uh, I'm wearing a suit and tie, and that doesn't happen very often. I think that's what's going on. I don't know. But I really do want to wish you a Merry Christmas. So thrilled that you chose to be here at Northridge as a part of your celebration. I ran into a couple as I was walking around trying to greet as many people as I could who uh, I, I asked first question, did you get caught in the traffic? <laughs> yeah, they said, yeah, it's a circus out there. But then they added, and I thought this was amazing, but it's pretty neat to come to a church that other people want to come to. Isn't that awesome? I really like that. But I, I want to give a special thank you to those of you who are in the overflow areas, filling up those areas. So glad that you came for all of you who fought traffic. And I hope that, that you'll reconnect with us in coming weekends. And if you do, just know you're certainly welcome at an 11 o'clock service. But we also have three other services here in Plymouth, two on Saturday night and two on Sunday morning. And then we have two services at our other churches. We have uh, Northridge Brighton Howell and then a Northridge Ann Arbor Selene. They both meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday. So you don't always necessarily have to fight the crowd of 11, and it's not always like this at 11, but it's great to have you here, and Merry Christmas. And I have to tell you, the, the reality is that our appearance, the appearance that we put on in life, um, doesn't often match the reality of our experience. And this weekend is a perfect example from my standpoint. I mean, uh, the appearance that I have put on for you on this Christmas weekend it doesn't necessarily match the reality of who I really am and the experience of my life. Because, once again, if you're a guest, you don't know me, I'm more of a jeans kind of guy, you know? It's like casual jeans, that deal. In fact, there are a lot of people here who attend Northridge that didn't even know I knew what a tie was. And if I did know what a tie was, that I could actually tie my own. And I've got news, no clip-on, and I tied the knot. Now, it, it took me a couple of weeks to learn how. But uh, it's Merry Christmas to you who love the whole tie thing. But the, what we say and what we do on the outside of our lives often belies what we think and who we really are on the inside. 
We can mask who we are. We can present a perception that's different than what is true of us. And this really happens at Christmas a lot. And I think the video that we showed just before I came out really displayed that as an illustration well. Because the guy was saying everything right about Christmas. I mean, he, he knew the story. He knew the celebration. He knew what he should say. Christmas isn't about presents. It's about Jesus. And it's not about shopping. It's about, you know, worshiping God. And Jesus brought us a gift. And that's the real Christmas. But because of the magic of video, we were able to insert the reality of what he was thinking and who he really was on the inside. And it was very different. And that's just not a fiction that we see in a video that we manufacture. That is a plague that we all have to deal with in our everyday lives. And it really happens at Christmas. The truth is that just because we celebrate Christmas and just because we know the right words to tell the right story and just because we have the right answers to the question, what is it really supposed to be about? And just because we go to the places that talk about it and sing the songs about it, just because we celebrate Christmas doesn't mean we're really experiencing the reality of Christmas. In fact, more often than not, like that guy, we know the story and we know the words but we don't know the reality of what Jesus came to bring us, not in our real lives. And that's what the series that we've been in this December has been all about. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss Christmas. That doesn't mean don't forget to put up your Christmas tree. It doesn't mean don't forget to go shopping. It doesn't mean don't forget to sing a couple of Christmas carols. It means in the midst of all of your celebrating, don't miss the point. And many people do. The truth is, everything Christmas is about is often not common to the experience of our lives. I mean, think about what it's about. Joy to the world? Goodwill to mankind? Peace on earth? And yet most people celebrating the day don't experience the gift. And we just want to encourage you as we send you off to the whole Christmas celebration this coming week not to miss Christmas. So I'm going to do with you this weekend what I've always done with my family, and you can imagine how this played in my family setting ever since my kids were small. We never wanted them to think Christmas was about, you know, Santa Claus or a Christmas tree, though we had fun playing those fairy tales out. We always wanted them to know that Christmas was about Jesus. And so you can imagine the hype on Sunday, on Christmas morning, you know, all the kids get up, they get up early, and it's all about the presents, and it's all about ripping them open. And, and here I'd come in, and I'd say, sit back and relax. No presents until we read Luke 2 and we understand what Christmas is about. It was always so much fun, you know. (laughs) My family was thrilled. My wife would complain, you know, the kids would complain, and we're reading Luke 2. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the real reason for Christmas, and we'll do it out of Luke 2. Luke 2 Verse 1 says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. Now understand, we know what a census is. We do censuses uh, censuses here in, in America, but we don't do it like they did it. In our day, we send surveys to homes, and most people fill it out that way, and those that don't get a knock on their door, and they have to answer some questions. But in this day, 
when a government would do a census, you had to go to your region of ancestry, to the place of your lineage, and register. And that's what they're doing. You had to travel. If you were mobile, if you'd moved away, you had to travel back. This is exactly what happened to Joseph and Mary. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was not yet his wife. He could not yet enter into intimacy with her, but he was pledged to be married, a commitment way beyond our culture's engagement. And so he took Mary, this woman pledged to be married to him, and she was already expecting a child. Before we go on with the Christmas story, I want to just share the good news and the bad news about what we've already seen. The good news is, and it's good news that all of us need, God is in this story moving heaven and earth to fulfill his promises. God is in this story moving heaven and earth to accomplish his purposes in this world. I mean, let me just show you real quickly. I mean, he he had promised that he was going to send a redeemer. All of us need one. All of us have experienced failure, and he had promised he was going to send a redeemer, and century after century went by, and along the way, just so people knew he was serious, he, he told stories about it. 700 years before Jesus was born onto this planet, God said this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He says, I'm going to give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And as you know, that was fulfilled in Jesus according to the Bible. When Jesus was born, he was to be called Emmanuel. He's God with us. Jesus, the Savior, the promised one, right? 700 years before he'd come, God says, hey, I haven't forgotten He's going to come, and you'll know when it happens because I am going to work supernaturally. I'm going to break the natural order of things, and I am going to allow a virgin to conceive. And for those of you who really aren't into a thoughtful approach to life, I just need to tell you, that's not the way it usually happens. I am going to prove to you that I'm fulfilling my promises because when it happens, you won't miss it because a virgin will give birth to this one I've promised to redeem the world. What's he doing? He's moving heaven and earth to meet our need, to fulfill his promises, to accomplish his purposes. He's actually doing that which cannot happen so we will know he's doing a new thing. Wow. He also then along the way said, you know, I know you guys think I'm, I'm not coming true to my promises, but I am. And when it happens, you'll know because this virgin who will conceive and give birth will give birth to the Savior in Bethlehem. It was an unknown little town. But look what it, he says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, hundreds of years before the first Christmas story. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel, whose origins are not like the typical baby who finds Genesis at birth, but whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This one born did not find their beginning at birth, but they were the ancient one. He's saying this is God himself, the creator of the world. God is moving heaven and earth, heaven and earth, to fulfill his promises in this story. Because you see, Caesar Augustus had to declare a census to get Joseph and Mary from where they were in Nazareth to Bethlehem. And it had to happen at just the right time. Isn't it interesting? A king 
who had no concept of and no concern for the God of this universe was moved by the God of this universe to make a decision that would bring about the fulfillment of God's promise in this world. The good news is God is moving heaven and earth to fulfill his promises. And why is this important to this talk this weekend? Because here we are. We wouldn't be here if we weren't in one way or another celebrating Christmas. But many of us believe that this God that we celebrate at Christmas has forgotten us, that he's abandoned us, that he's missing how our lives are playing out and that he's failing us time and time again that he somehow has taken his hand off the wheel and he's lost control and this place is out of control and here we are celebrating Christmas but all along feeling like God doesn't know what's going on and God's lost control and God's abandoned and God's not fulfilling his promises in our lives and I just want you to know the people in the first story felt exactly the same way all the while God was moving heaven and earth to fulfill his promises. Here's the story. You're missing Christmas if you don't know that God is present and active and fulfilling his promises in you. You're missing Christmas. Even if you're telling the story and singing the songs, if you feel like he's deserted you, because he hasn't. He's moving heaven and earth even today to fulfill his promises in your life. But the story, of course, goes further than that because there's bad news as well. The bad news that we've already seen in this story is the fact that, well... Promises don't come on the cheap. If there's going to be a promise made and fulfilled, it's going to cost someone something. And in this story, though the promise is delivered to us, the cost is paid by Joseph and Mary. I mean, it's really bad news for them because, you see, they're paying a stiff price. Remember what we've already read They were pledged to be married, not yet married, not yet able to be intimate with one another, and yet she was expecting a child. Now, they did nothing wrong. They had integrity. They were favored by God. They were living a life of high morality before God. God was pleased with their lives, but no one else was. I mean, what would you say if your daughter came home with her boyfriend that you like or don't like all that much? And was to say, great news, I'm pregnant and I'm still a virgin. Would you be like putting up a Christmas tree and celebrating it? He's like, way to go, that's exactly what we wanted for you. And then I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying we, have, we shouldn't have unconditional love. I'm not saying in our culture it's not looked at differently in this one. I'm not saying any of that. I'm simply saying, that's not how you plan it. That's not the right way. And though we love them and we care about them and we'll embrace them and we'll help them, we all know the difficulty that comes with that. Mary and Joseph, in a world that so despised immorality that a young woman could be literally killed for participating in it, were accused by the world of immorality when what they really were doing was being faithful to their God. They paid a stiff price to bring hope into the world. Not only was she wrongly accused of being an immoral woman of the day, but she was great with child, we read, and yet they had to go to Bethlehem. And we read right by this stuff. We don't even know. But if you look at the details, Bethlehem's not close to Nazareth. 
And now what you can do is you can take out your smartphone and you can Google map this sucker and you can see exactly how far it is because it, by a straight line, it's 60 miles. But they wouldn't have traveled by a straight line because they would have had to go around Samaria and there weren't highways and roads like ours today. They had to take a long and arduous journey of 80 miles when she was at the height of her pregnancy, when she was ready to deliver, and they didn't travel in any convenient way. More than likely, they both walked, and the donkey carried the supplies. They just had a donkey. Because, you see, they had to take all their supplies. It's not like when they got to Bethlehem, they could have planned to go to Kroger or Bushes or something like that. That wasn't going to happen. So they had to take all their supplies. And the donkey probably carried it at best for her. She rode on a donkey. And I just have a question. I've never had a baby, but I have been married to my wife a long time, and she had three. How many of you women who have delivered a baby would love to take an 80-mile journey on a donkey just before you were to give birth? Yeah, see, this wasn't an easy experience for them. This is very important to get because though the Christmas story is a story of joy to the world. It wasn't filled with a lot of joy for Mary and Joseph. Just because we're a part of God unfolding a beautiful story of hope doesn't mean that we're always going to experience only good times. Now the story continues. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. How many of you think maybe the donkey ride had something to do with that? I'm imagining it did. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The good news, God so loved us that he sent his son. He so loved us that when he looked down at the world that we had made by our choices to reject him and do our own thing, he looked down at this world and saw us in darkness, and he said, I want to give them light. He looked down in this world of hatred, and he said, I want to give them love. He looked down in this world of, of misery, and he wanted to give us joy. He looked down at this world of despair, and he wanted to give us hope. God so loved that he sent his son. That's the good news. It's great news. The bad news is that there was no room. No room. No room for Mary, weary beyond words and ready to give birth. No room for this young couple whose lives were being turned upside down so that they could bring hope into this world. No room for this child of promise, this virgin-born child of promise, born for one reason, to redeem us. No room. And and here's the reality. These two words are the, the best description of how our world has responded to Jesus down through the centuries. Century after century after century. No room. You wonder why century after century darkness keeps prevailing in our world when supposedly in Jesus God sent light. It's not because God didn't send light. It's because this world has responded with no room. You wonder why misery And sorrow prevails in this world when the angels announced some 2,000 years ago that joy has finally come into this world. It's not because joy hasn't come into the world. It's because this world had no room for that joy. 
You wonder why this world can be filled with such hatred, the kind of hatred that can reap tragedies in this world that are unimaginable to us when supposedly God sent love into the world. It's not that he didn't send love. It's that we found no room for that love. No room. That's the bad news. And the same is true today. Even in the midst of our celebration of the story of Christmas Most people miss Christmas. And I'm not trying to be mean or beat anyone up here because I get it. First of all, the innkeeper with no room. I'm not going to trash him. I've heard talks given where this is the worst human being ever alive. He didn't make room for the Savior. Are you kidding me? It's not like they called and made reservations. This isn't, you know, Holiday Inn. This, This was a town being consumed with people because of the census. And the guy had to do business. It's what he survived on. And, and so he had to fill his rooms. And they showed up and his rooms were already filled. And so there was no room. It was a statement of fact. But it became the metaphor of how the whole world responded to him. And he actually did a good deed because though he had no room in the inn, he at least gave them room in his barn. On the outskirts of his, you know, holdings, he said, well, I've got this barn, and you can, you know, give birth there. I'm glad to help you out. And so he, he arranged for this to happen on the edge of his life. And the same thing goes on today. It's not like we all are filled with malice and trying to push Jesus out of our life. Some are, intentionally. Maybe some of you. But most of us just have a lot going on in life. I mean, life is really busy. Life is pretty crowded. There's a ton of things going on, and I get it. It's the same in my life. And and so we just don't have any room for one more thing. Christmas becomes a burden that we try and get through instead of the source of life and joy and light and love. What blows my mind is that Jesus came into this world knowing that most of us would find no room, that most of us would crowd him out with other things. And we do it very often probably like the innkeeper with no malice in mind, but I'm going to tell you the problem as we celebrate Christmas but miss it so many of us, as you move into this Christmas week where you're going to have a wonderful time celebrating because of his birthday, I want to share with you the problem of not making room for him. When we don't make room for Jesus, we have nothing. Without him, we have nothing. Look at John 15, 5. These are his words. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You wonder why we're not experiencing the fruit of light and love and joy and peace and hope. The answer is obvious. As a branch can't survive unattached from the vine, nor can we survive and bear fruit unattached from Jesus. And yet most of us don't have room. And so, without him, we have nothing. The problem with crowding Jesus out of our life is that when we miss him, we lose everything. We are so busy pursuing our everything that we don't have room for the only one who can be our everything. He even said it in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but forfeit their soul. And this is exactly what's going on as we go about the business of, business of life and the busyness of life. 
were too crowded for Jesus to be a part of it. And we're missing everything. We're losing our own soul. He brought redemption for our soul. Light to fill the darkness. Fullness to fill the emptiness. But we're missing it because we're pursuing everything but him. You see, no room for Jesus is a mess because without him, our failures are final. We have no hope. Acts 4.12 says it. I mean, salvation is found in no one else. If we're going to overcome the mess we're in, if we're going to be transformed from what we've been to what we really want to be, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's our only hope. Without him, our failures are final. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of regrets in life, a lot of regrets. I've messed up a ton. Now I know it doesn't look like it. But I have messed up a ton. My life story is littered with regret. But here's what I need to share with you. Every regret that I have stems from those times in my life when I was doing life without him. When he wasn't a part of my thinking, of my choices. I have huge regrets. They weren't all bad times. I mean, some mountaintop times, some great things. But I have huge regrets about them because in the midst of good times, I was experiencing emptiness. But I have no regrets over those times when I was pursuing Jesus as my center. No regrets. Now, that doesn't mean when I was pursuing Jesus as my center, I've had all great times. That's not true at all. In pursuing Jesus as my center, I've experienced disappointment and betrayal and hurt and challenges and difficulty. I mean, I have experienced some awfully dark seasons of life, even pursuing Jesus as my center. But I don't regret one of those moments or one of those experiences because as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he was there, comforting me, encouraging me. I didn't blow it. They're not filled with shadows. Many of us have lives filled with shadows. We can't get over our past because we've been doing life without Jesus at the center. We need to pursue him or we will live nothing but regret. So here's my question. What are you allowing to crowd Jesus out of your life right now? What are you allowing to cause you to miss Christmas this year? Business, maybe? Economic concerns, problems? Maybe you're allowing the tragedies that happen in this world to push God out of your life because you just don't like the way he's handling being God. You don't like the fact that he allows this world where he gave freedom to continue to have freedom even when choices are made that aren't all that great. And so you've just decided, no more for me. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's how you pursue pleasure. Maybe it's Christmas itself. I mean, how in the world can we spend time focusing on him when we've got this shopping and decorating and cooking to do? And maybe, as in the first Christmas story, it's religion itself. Because, you know, the most people who missed Christmas the first time around missed it because of their religion, right? All the rituals and all the traditions and all the rules and all the do's and all the don'ts, all the rights and all the wrongs. 
and in it they lost Jesus. What is it that's causing you to miss the reality of joy? Don't tell me it's the fact that you're experiencing so much sorrow because in the midst of sorrow, when you have Jesus in you, you can still have joy. What's causing you to miss it? What choices are you making or not? Because in the end, without Jesus, everything else we pursue other than him will leave us with regret. So let me just give you two solutions. Two solutions to to play into your Christmas celebration, to unwrap so that you won't miss Christmas. Here's the first one. You want to experience Christmas? You need to open the door. You need to open the door to Jesus. Now, here's the deal. You can't make room for him if you leave him outside. You've got to open the door. And look at his words in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Here I am, he's shouting. I stand at the door of your life, and I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. And if anyone just hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. He doesn't say, I'm knocking, and if you just get rid of all those doubts that I don't like that you have, then I'll come in. No, he just says you have to open the door. He doesn't say if you turn your life around, if you get really religious, then I'll come in. No, he says, I'm knocking and all you have to do is open the door and I'll come in. What does that mean? I'll come in and eat with you. It means the joy he came with will come into you. The love he came with will come into you. The peace he came with will come into you. It doesn't mean your circumstances will change. It means you will change. Because remember, what we say and do on the outside often belies who we are on the inside. And the truth is, what we are on the inside often belies the reality on the outside. This is why some of the people in the most miserable circumstances of the world have more joy than anybody here. When you open the door to Jesus, Christmas comes inside. Have you done it? You might say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, this was written to Christians who had pushed Jesus out. I believe many of us aren't experiencing the promises he brought because many of us have crowded him out. Time to open the door. And there are some of us here who celebrate Christmas but have never experienced Jesus. You've experienced religion maybe, but never Jesus. You need to open the door. And I want to encourage you, just before I give you the last solution, I just want to encourage you, open the door. So before the last solution is delivered, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a, just a short moment of prayer. And I want to encourage those of you in our overflow rooms to pray as well. And I mean, those of you watching online, just, just bow in prayer just for a moment. If you're already a Christ follower, I encourage you, open the door to him. But if you've never opened the door, pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but take my words and make them the expression of your heart to God. Just say, God... I know you're knocking. I know I've shut you out of my life. I know I've done life my own way. I know I've sinned against you. But I know I need you. And so in this moment, I'm opening the door. I'm taking my sin, and I'm trusting Jesus, you to forgive them because you died on the cross for me. And I'm taking my messed up story and by faith I'm receiving the new life of your resurrection. Come in and change me. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I give you the last solution, I want to encourage you, if you just prayed with me, please let us know. I, we've put together a special letter that can help you take next steps in your relationship with God, but we need to know you prayed with me. And so in the program that you were handed when you came into one of our live services, there's this perforated connection card, and you can actually tear it out better than I just did right there. And uh, you can fill it out, and on the bottom, check it and say, today I prayed with you. There are boxes at every exit of our live campus worship services and just put it in there. We'll send you a letter about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. If you're watching church online, you can do the same thing. You can just hit what next and we'll do the same with you. Now, here's the deal. If you just restarted your faith or have started your faith, we have this thing called starting point groups. It will turbocharge your understanding of God and your relationship with God. If you've got huge questions, it'll help you to answer those questions. We have a whole new series of starting point groups starting in January. Hope you'll check them out online. Talk to the guest service people about that. Here's the last solution. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, the words of Jesus. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Now, I don't know if you notice this. Jesus is saying, this isn't supposed to be the center of your life. This isn't what should consume you. This isn't what should cause you anxiety. And yet the three areas that he addressed represent what fills most of our Christmas lists. Have you noticed that? It's interesting. And then he says, you don't have to worry about these things. It's the pagans. Pagans means people who don't know God, have rejected God. The pagans run after all these things. But if you're a child of God, if you really know Christmas, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He's your provider. So seek first his kingdom, his ways, and all these things will be given to you as well. Once you open the door to Jesus, if you really want to make room for him, it's time to rearrange your life. Now listen, this is important. The innkeeper didn't rearrange his life at all. He just put Jesus in the barn. And I believe this is really descriptive of how most of us live. We haven't rearranged our life. We're still living for what we want and how we want, pursuing life as we want. But, but we've kind of rearranged the closets of our life, the barn of our life. We, we've made sure Jesus can be a part of our life because it'd be pretty good to have him around when we need him, but we certainly don't want him to be the center of our life. The reason so few of us experience what he came to bring us is because so few of us have rearranged our life to make room for him. But when you seek him first, he knows what you need, and he will bring into your life exactly what you need even as you go through the valley of death. Christmas brought joy and love and peace and hope into this world. If you're not experiencing it, it's because you haven't yet opened the door and rearranged your life, but when you do, you won't miss Christmas, you'll experience it, and then you won't miss what caused you to miss Christmas before. You'll be thankful that Jesus came, that he loves you. Have a Merry Christmas, everyone. We'll see you next time.